and welcome to this week's episode of I Came for Science, a show about sex and reproduction and inclusion in STEM. I'm your host, Laura Surratt. I'm a professor of biology, and I've been studying animal sex for the past 30 years. Please join me as we normalize talking about sex and what we know about it, as well as the journeys of the scientists who study it. Today, at the end of the show, I will be joined by a co-host, Natalia, who's a science communicator and my former student, to discuss this episode. We have a very special episode today. It will be me, Laura Surratt, your host, talking to my former student and mentee, Rondell Mackey, and his mother, Toya Mackey, about his experience navigating getting the HIV preventative prophylaxis PrEP. And we'll be talking about how it works and what are the different experiences of people from different identity groups in terms of navigating the steps in getting access to that type of preventative life-saving health care. So welcome, Rondell and Toya. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Rondell, could you get us started by talking about maybe a little about yourself and then how you decided to start taking PrEP and what that experience was like for you? And feel free to bring in your mom whenever you would like. Yeah. So my... Uh, my obviously my name is Rondell Mackey. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, but I currently live in Chicago, Illinois. And I am I, I, not obviously, but I'm a gay black man, right? And my experience with prep is uh, quite interesting. I didn't have a necessarily early introduction into um, prep. I will say that I am lucky to live, you know, during the time where PrEP is available for uh, gay men. Um, and I believe it's actually available for everyone. I don't know. Yes. How yep, actually. that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not just only for men. It's for everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I didn't get introduced or start taking PrEP until after I started having sex. Um, so I started to have sex and high school. Uh, mm-hmm. There was this guy that I really liked. Um, and he was the first person that I had sex with. And I was not necessarily aware at the time of PrEP and what it could do. And I ne- I really wasn't even aware fully of HIV or AIDS. Like I would always hear about it and like the nuances of it, but I didn't necessarily know about HIV and AIDS. Right. So sure. I was a little ignorant and not in a bad way, just ignorant to what the, what it was. <laughs> and I didn't learn more or in depth about it until I went. So I'm actually on my mom's insurance and I would go to the doctor and they would ask those preliminary questions of, okay, if you're a gay man, what position are you? Um, so they, there's bottom, top and verse. And like, Can you those- explain those for a second? Yes. Okay. So top is the person um, in a gay relationship when there's men on men. The top is a person that um, he's usually the one that is giving the penis. So he's doing the penetration. Uh-huh. Um, a bottom is the person that is receiving the penetration. Mm-hmm. And then a verse V-E-R-S is someone that does both. So they okay. get penetration, then they also take mm-hmm. penetration. So those are questions that the doctor asks when you go get like a regular checkup. Um, if you're a gay man and they'll ask those things, they'll also ask you when the last time that you had sex, um, all those kind of things. And he opened up the conversation or my doctor at the time, he he educated me on what HIV and AIDS is, how it's contracted, um, and the preventative measures for it. So I asked if I had to pay for it. And there were oftentimes actually, so... 
I want to backtrack a little bit. I'm so sure. sorry. No worries. So once I graduated high school, um, I went to college and there are dating apps. So on dating apps, gay dating apps, right? So there's like Grinder, there's Jack, there's all different types of dating app, dating apps. And they have advertisements for prep. And that always rung like a light bulb for me, right? Um, mm-hmm. If you are on dating, most of them are hookup apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and a hookup app is where you would literally go to look to have sex at, right? Mm-hmm. And they would have the advertising for uh, prep where you can get it like sent to you discreetly or you can get it mailed to you. They have like programs or services where you can get it for free. So I always thought that it was just like hard thing to acquire that you may have to pray, pay for like these programs or like get it in mail. So there's like this also another layer to it to where a person who is um, in the gay community, if they were like down low or something, they probably have measures where you can get it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the, so that was also an experience that I had also in college where I was Introduced to PrEP in a way where it was advertised within the gay community through hookup apps, right? Um, So once I got to the doctor and we went over the education of HIV and AIDS and he talked about the medicine, it is actually free. Um, And I asked him, why is it free, right? And one of the reasons he said it was free is because it in the medical field, it is more expensive to take care of a person who who acquires HIV or AIDS medically than it is to just prescribe the medicine. So it's kind of like an investment thing for the Mm -hmm. uh, medical field to just do the preventative uh, before you actually get the autoimmune um, disease. Mm -hmm. And it's free because it's covered by your insurance. Is that right? Okay. So it's free. Um, um, what you have to get, so for me, I had to get tested before. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to get tested before you are on the medicine mm-hmm. and you have to get tested every three months after you're on the medicine okay. to get renewed. So it's on a three month basis mm-hmm. and every three months that the medicine is going out, you ha- also have to get tested for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was my pretty much, that was my introduction in terms of me being, um, a gay black man. I never, I don't think I've necessarily had a coming out story. My, me and my mom kind of have like different perspectives of how, yeah, how I came out. I don't remember <laughs> how she said I came out. Um, but I, for me, right. My experience and she could talk about her experience for, for me, I think that actually I do remember. So in middle school, I was, I think I was in middle school. I don't remember what specific grade, but there was this, there sixth was this grade. sixth grade. Yes. There was this <laughs> she remembers. I'm not thinking about it. It's actually kind of crazy. Uh, so in middle school, there was this app, it's called Uvu. It was a video call app where you could like send messages, you could do calls. And I had a laptop and my mom, she, I think she went through the laptop or something and she saw that I was having conversations with this guy. Cell phone. You said it was a cell phone? You had a cell phone. Cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she saw that I was having conversations with the guy. So then I came, she, I came home from school and she was like, hey, do you want to, let's talk, let's talk. And I was like, okay, just thinking it was regular. And she was, she asked me, she said, so I have a few questions for you. And she asked me, are you, do you like boys? And I remember saying no. And she was like, it's okay. Like you can tell me anything. Um, I'm here for you. No, it's okay. Wow. And then I don't, I think the second time I actually didn't respond, I started crying. Mm. And after that, after I started crying, she uh, just, we, we talked about it more and she asked me like more details. When did this started happening? When did you notice? And just, you know, being comforting, obviously it was never anything aggressive. I've never had the aggressive kind of story with my parents where it was difficult to come about anything. So from yay it was all parents. Yeah. Yay parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've yeah. never had that experience of violence, experience 
experiencing violence when it came to coming out. Um, but that was my perspective of coming out to her. Now, to everyone else, I don't necessarily remember. I think that it was just assumed and I just always operated in who I was. Mm-hmm. But with my mom specifically, I did have a coming out story. Right. And you can speak to your experience, mom. Yeah. That. So my name is Toya Mackey. I am Rundell Mackey's mom. So Rundell decided he, well, he didn't decide he was going to actually come out till it was like high school, so to speak. And I always knew he was gay um, since he was a little boy. I just, at that moment in middle school, it had confirmed everything I had ever thought. And I thought the best way to approach it was just to ask him. I'm just, that's the kind of mom I I am anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, the first thing I thought about, the first thing I thought about his entire life about him being gay was HIV AIDS because I lost my father to that horrible disease. So sorry. Thank you. I think it was some form of PTSD because I watched him die. Yeah. I watched him get sick. And so, you know, because him and my mom was together, there were stages that he went through before he passed away. And back then it was just kind of, you didn't really talk about it because it was like in the eighties. So you kind of talked about, it was kind of like a known, it was known as a gay man disease, which that's not what it is, but that's Mm -hmm. what it was known as. Mm -hmm. And so um, I remember going to see my father in the hospital and I remember the nurse taking me away to tell my mom. And I just remember coming back into the room And my mom just crying and upset. But I remember looking at my father in the hospital during those times. And I remember the way he looked. And then I, as I gradually watch him get sicker and sicker because the medications and stuff that they have now, they didn't have those medications back then. And if they did, I guess we just didn't know because it was it was really new as far right. as coming out. And so as I watched him pass away and then he came home and my mom had to take care of him and I watched him get sicker and sicker. I just watched him deteriorate. And <clears throat> for the longest, my parents thought it would be, they thought it would be safe to tell me that he had cancer versus telling me that he had AIDS. And so I went all the way into adulthood thinking that it was cancer. Oh, wow. And then once I found out as an adult <laughs> that it was AIDS, I played back every moment where I watched him deteriorate mm-hmm. and talk to him from the hospital bed. And I just watched, I just remember those things. And so the last thing I wanted was to see my son in that manner. Yes. And I don't know if he remember it, but I would always tell him, I don't want to talk to you from a hospital bed. Like I had conversations with him about getting this medication prep. I, I can't say I was ignorant to what it was, but I just knew what it would prevent. And that's all I needed to love on my son and to have for him. So I remember telling him, you know, just get this. And as he's saying, he didn't, he didn't really know about it because I really, 
really didn't educate him about it. I just told him, look, take it. <laughs> like, you know, that's all I had. So anyhow, as he got older, I just, that's all I would ever say to him. I just don't want to talk to him from my hospital bed, like wear condoms, wear condoms, wear condoms. That's all I had. And, you know, take the medication. So fast forward, rewind back to when he, his coming out thing. So I've all, I always knew and the text messages, they just confirmed what I had already felt and knew. And so when I asked him, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, do you like boys? And he was like, no. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I said, I'm your mother. I'm going to love you regardless. It's okay. And that's when he started crying. And that's when we knew it to be the truth. So then I proceeded to decided to get him counseling. That was like an explosive waiting to happen because it just, we didn't have the right therapist. Mm-hmm. And so as I became older, I almost was upset at myself for getting a therapist mm-hmm. for the reason that I got it for. Mm-hmm. I got a therapist to maybe help him cope with being gay instead of having a therapist for him to continue to butterfly into being him. Yes, And I was mad that that happened. But, you know, we had conversations later on about just be you, you know. And so he was going to high school. And by this time, he was kind of getting getting into being himself. And he comes he comes to me one day. And he's like, Mom, he was like, I really want to tell my friends that I'm gay. So what do you think? And I was like, uh, they already know. <laughs> <laughs> like no they don't and I'm like eh, I think they do and he was like they don't know I was like they they know and he was like well what makes you think that they know and I was like are your friends are girls you like you know so he laughed at it he went to school he told his friends and they were like yeah we know you know so I'm I'm so glad he, he was able to experience it in a good light and I've never ever shined upon him when it came to being a gay man because I always just wanted him to be educated on everything that comes with it and so as me being in the medical field later on I was introduced to people telling me about PEP and PrEP. And and so I kind of got more educated on what it exactly was for. Mm -hmm. And then I told him about it. And Rondell bounced to his own drum. So he does things in his (laughs) own time, in his own moments. It doesn't matter if I talk about it 365 days. So he then began to, I think, educate himself, which is good. Educate himself on it, although we had talked about it. But educate himself on, you know, what exactly was it for and, you know, all these things. And so when it came to, I was so excited, so excited that he decided to do it because, again, my story has always been for him. I never want to talk to you from a hospital bed. I'm not going to look, you know, less like I just don't want that to happen when it can be prevented. Right. So he educated himself. He then chose to take it. And I was like, but still wear condoms. Right. (laughs) 
just because yes. doesn't prevent I'm, everything. Yeah, just, yeah. just in case, you know, just in yeah. case. I just always try to introduce him to people who could educate him if, if he had questions about it. So that 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 was our coming out story, which I think was awesome. But I never wanted a negative outlook on the medications. I never wanted a negative outlook on him taking the medications. I never wanted a negative outlook on him being gay. So I've always, always told him, if you tell people, they're going to talk about you. If you don't tell people, they're going to talk about you. So love you, do you, and be. I love that so much. There's so many parts of that that you just did so beautifully, perfectly. Like, I, I mean, there's not a script to being a parent, right? And you, no. there's not not a guidebook, no instructions that we get, right? And you no. just navigate it on your own. You saw some mistakes, but mostly just went from such a place of love and caring. And that's beautiful. Rondell, do you want to respond to anything about that? So I think, um, so in terms of like just prepping the medicine, I have very two distinct. So one of the things that she uh, said that I beat to my own drum, and that is a very, very true thing. So I will speak <laughs> to that because what triggered me to because she would tell me like take prep take pep she would tell me that but again like things come just who I am things come up I want to do it when I want to do it mm-hmm. and I had two triggers uh that then served as a catalyst for me to kind of learn and re- actually get on prep. The first instance was I had a friend from Atlanta and he actually contracted HIV and he was in a relationship. And the fact that he was in a committed relationship and still contracted it, it was like, it was like eye opening for me. Right. And I was right. like, I can't believe that is that prevalent for someone to act. like, you know what I mean? Be in a relationship, a committed relationship and still get it through having a boyfriend. So that was one thing. And then the second thing that happened is just like my mom didn't know about her father until she was an adult. I didn't know about it until my uncle told me and he didn't tell me like, again, it was taboo. Like she said, it was family, black family politics. It just being taboo. No one, it was like unspoken, right? Mm -hmm. You don't speak about those things. And it my uncle told me in spite of, and then that's when I went to my mom and asked her. And I think it was new to her too. I think she had found out through I think your sister had told you. Yeah. So I, again, my grandmother, her mom didn't even tell her. Um, but we both had to find out in like these this very taboo way through like otherism and through other people. And that was the second thing that kind of was like, okay, like you need to take this a little bit more seriously. It has happened to you right closely. And right, these are the effects and the, like you've seen it. So that's why I decided to go ahead and pursue taking uh, prep. So you had a pretty good experience getting access to it, right? Do you know other people who have tried to get access to it and been deterred for some reason? Or have you talked to people who, you know, like would be good candidates for taking it, but have decided not to? And if so, why? Yeah, so I think I I actually one time, I think that Emory does this program and I actually tried to do it because I didn't have, I wasn't insured through, like I didn't have medical insurance for a minute. And I, I think it was, in college. So I actually did try to get PrEP or PEP once through like one of those programs. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard. I 
almost compared to voting. Like you just have to go through these different applications uh, to get it. Then there's like a time frame in which you can acquire it. And I think you have to be eligible to get it for free for those programs. They want to make sure you are a patient that is very aware and knowledgeable of this medication because it's a it's a big deal sure so um that's why that's probably why Randall, you experienced them saying that they rather it's free because they rather prevent it Mm-hmm. Because that doctor bill is, you know, way higher than what the medication costs. So it's it's truly a preventive, like Obama's healthcare. You, there are free preventative things. So they they try to make it something that enticing. They try to make it something that you want to get. Yet it's hard to start it. Yeah, yeah. kind of like incentivize um, it. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that um, so it does come with therapy as well, like counseling, like the. <laughs> The person who prescribes it to you, they are, they also serve as like a counselor for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have like technically two therapists right now, mm-hmm. uh, but one of, I, one of the side effects for the medicine is depression. And I have oh. depression for, so one of the screening questions they ask is like, do you have seasonal depression or what is like, do you have depression, anxiety? How do you cope with that? How do you do that? Um, because I guess you, you know, with taking the medicine, it will probably trigger it. You probably will have more depressive episodes more often than you already have. So there are things or reasons why they do eggs before you get on the medicine. I do know that it can cause liver problems too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Are there any side effects that you've noticed from it? So I was, so I, I am a person, so I was uh, not, what is the word? I was diagnosed with depression mm-hmm. uh, before. And now that I'm in it, I don't, I'm not really a good person with tracking, but I do easily slip in and out of depression. I think that it was more seasonal then, but now it is a little bit more like it happens quite often and anything can kind of trigger it. And I don't know if that is because of the medicine, but Mm -hmm. it probably is because I will say that I have a little bit more depressive episodes than I did have before. Um, Nothing that is not handled, right? So I do have, I did say that I have two therapists that, you know, deal with it. But one of the things that is kind of difficult is that if you have a doctor that switches up. So I, the original man that I had, he was like amazing. Mm-hmm. And I no longer have him because I think he moved to a different department. I think doctors switch to different departments sometimes and I no longer have him. And that was very hard trying to find a doctor that understood, right, like queer spaces or queer medicine and mm-hmm. things that you go through that. Uh, I had a very traumatic experience with one of my doctors. She didn't know anything about it. And I was just like, where is where is, where is my doctor? Like, I need him back. <laughs> um, so I went through like two or three doctors. Yeah before I found someone who knew how to deal with me as a patient. Yeah. I was able to know that I could do those things and kind of switch out. Right. She, she was she was like, uh, yeah, no, they are supposed to know about those kind of things. So she was like, you need to switch your doctor. Or she, and she actually referred me to some people too. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's really... I, say, I actually reported that doctor as well because it can make it... It wasn't just because it was my baby, but it can make it very difficult for someone who's coming in to what he told me his experience with that doctor to me was very judgmental. Now, of course, maybe I feel 
more than the most, but the, just the questions she was asking, I wouldn't even want to be asked that as a, you know, for my doctor to tell me, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. And yet you've been in practice for X amount of years. So um, I did report her not wanting to her to lose her job, but reporting her so she can become more educated and simply say, hey, you know, that's not my department, but here is Dr. X, Y, and Z. And he's very great at answering all your questions and needs. And he's more knowledgeable of the questions in this community, you know, however. So I yeah. did not like that. And so they're trying to get better in that department because we have a we have a big doctor gay community. So it would it baffled me on her even responding in that manner. So yeah, I I reported that. Yeah. So I would say like what I see from you guys at a, as a team is that you had the knowledge that you could ask for someone else, Toya, and you shared that knowledge with Rundell. He had the persistence mm-hmm. to keep going with other doctors, which is hard. Sometimes when somebody discourages you, you want to give up right there. It's hard enough. Yeah. And then also you had the wherewithal and the knowledge to ask advocate, right? And to help improve the system for other people. So that's incredible. But yeah, you might imagine someone who maybe has less supportive family or less knowledgeable family than you all is just trying to get this medication. It's been hard enough. There's been enough hoops that they could be really or easily discouraged by an experience like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got really close with the first doctor. Like this is the person Again, I was uh, like not a bride, but I stayed. I wasn't like close, so I would send him pictures. We it, it, when I would go in in person, he would be the one to like check in, and, and I mm-hmm. guess like and they see you like naked and doing these things, so like you build that 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 relationship with that doctor. So um, I will say that that was the kind of most like discouraging thing, but like you said, persistence, like keeping it going, and you know just finding someone. You're, mm-hmm. really yeah, fun. you're literally fighting for your life. Yeah, yeah, it's important. <laughs> So did you have any other questions for me about use of PrEP or HIV or how it works that you went to discuss? Yes, actually. So um, one of the questions that I was thinking about since PrEP, right, is supposed to be a preventative measure in contracting HIV through uh, sexual practices or like, you know, having sex. It makes me also wonder if the STD or STI rate goes up for that same body of men, right? Not to say that it promotes having condomless sex, but is there any statistics or anything on the rates going up for SCRs or SCD because it not necessarily encourages, but I can see it as an encouragement for people to have condomless sex because they're no longer in the scope of HIV or AIDS. Yeah, that is such a good question. And I don't know all the data on that, but from the research that I've read, that's a question about what's called risk compensation. And um, it's the idea that if you're protected in one way, that you're more likely to to kind of maybe take higher risks in another way. And so in this case, like you said, if you feel like you're protected from HIV, that you might be more likely to have sex without condoms and um, possibly still expose yourself to HIV because it might not be 100% protection that you're getting, but also certainly expose you to other damaging sexually transmitted infections, like you said. So yes, there's definitely evidence for that and concern about that. And I think when PrEP was first emerging as um, more widely used, that some people were 
were discouraging its use because it would, they felt concerned it would encourage people to have more condomless sex. Yeah. yeah. What is, what has your experience been? Like, did you get any counseling about that, about whether to still use a condom when you're, I know you got it from your mom, but what about yeah. from your doctors? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the, the doctor that I have, the sex therapist, uh, he definitely 100% still encourage uh, condom sex. So because, and we went over the different positions earlier, yes. because I am a bottom, there are different conversations, right? Okay. So one of the conversations that we had would be, so for a top, the, the doctor wouldn't have a conversation about, okay, you could maybe possibly contract uh, chlamydia gonorrhea anally or like erectile. Mm, right. Know, that makes sense. Or, yeah. Or orally. So because mm-hmm. I am a bottom, I had to have those conversations. Well, okay, well, you can have uh, gonorrhea or chlamydia in other places other just than just like yes. regular penis, uh, penile gents. Mm-hmm. Um, genitalia. Mm-hmm. Um, so that conversation opened up a, l- a little bit more, not can of worms, but it just opened up more discussion um, about, okay, well, condom sex is also a thing. You also need to consider having, um, thinking about having sex with uh, uh, oral sex where you have the a condom on for that as well. Uh, but he actually told me that throat chlamydia or gonorrhea is actually harder to get rid of. Oh, wow. To have yeah. it um, with your penis or anal. Right. Um, so those are things that like as a bottom or just positionality right that I should think of and he was mm-hmm. like this still means safe sex right mm-hmm. it doesn't mean condom the sex it means that right. you are prevented from having HIV but not other things but I one thing that comes up to question out of this relationship but when it comes to gay black men I think that we've been talking about it in a very like gay black men perspective or male perspective I'm really interested on the relationship that prep well the relationship with women mm-hmm. or black women and prep Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested in to see if because HIV and AIDS, right? We talked to my mom a little bit earlier about how it was taboo within black polit like the the politics of it in a black family, of how it's affected black women. And my understanding from reading the literature is that women have even a lower prescription rate than gay men in terms of using prep. Like I think it hasn't, like we were talking about at the beginning, really been targeted to women as much. And I don't know much, many of the reasons why that is. But that's something we could talk about further. Yeah. 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 Very important and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You said that there was other ways outside of sex. Like I'm just thinking about like drug injections and those kind of things where you can get it. So yeah. 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 Lots of different ways, transfusions, but also with sex, just with heterosexual partners who have it too, right? Like their partner doesn't have to be on the download for them to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, well, this has been so important, this discussion, and hopefully it's just the beginning of further discussions we can have with you and your mother if she's interested. It was just amazing, so touching, so heartening to hear a mom and a son have conversations about sex in such a supportive, loving way. That's pretty unusual, and I just commend both of you for it and hope that you set a great example for other people through the, our audience in our podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to maybe be on future podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Think of other topics we want to go to or extending this one. It's so important. Absolutely. So I'd just like to thank Rondell and Toya for joining me today and sharing their story about coming out, about growing up as a gay Black man and as a mama of a gay Black man and um, how supportive they were of each other and um, really trying to find out information and share that information and love on each other. And so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I, I mean, this is 
awesome. This is amazing. I wish that this was done more often to educate, to continue to educate our community about this stigmatism, about just medications, gay men, just the whole thing. But I thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's what the show is all about, is that in our society, we're sort of afraid or shamed into not talking about sex. Mm-hmm. And it can have life-altering or life-ending consequences for people. And yes. if we don't talk about it, we're just going to keep perpetuating that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Toya. And thank you, Rondell. So now I want to debrief with Natalia. Natalia, welcome back. What are your thoughts on this episode? Oh, Laura, um, I just echo all of your, all the things you said about how touching it was to hear from Rondell and Toya and what a beautiful relationship they have it, that clearly took a lot of work. Uh, so I just want to thank them as well for sharing with us because that was really beautiful, really touching. And, you know, just something that surprised me from the perspective of a, you know, straight female in a heterosexual relationship is that the terminology of between bottom or top is not just a, a term that's used in society because you you hear it culturally all the time, like, oh, that's giving bottom energy or whatever. But it's actually a term that's used in, in medical practices as well to help inform practitioners about how to best um, serve their patients. So, so I that was something I really took away that surprised me and, and I took away from this episode. And you know, the other the other question that I have, and probably from a from a place of being naive and not being a member of the gay community, but of course an ally of the gay community, is why is HIV AIDS more prevalent amongst gay men or in, in that population? And what is the science behind that? Because you know, you allude to the fact that it can be transmitted to women. And intellectually I know that, but what is the the biology behind that and why are gay men more uh, associated with HIV and AIDS? Yeah, these are great questions and profound questions. And I'm no expert in this area, but I'll share with you some of the reasons that I've learned about for that. So usually in this literature, they don't say gay men, but they just say men having sex with men. So that includes gay men, bisexual men, men who live their lives as heterosexual, but have sex with other men. So, and they are far more likely to get HIV than other populations. And I think there are, again, lots of reasons for this, but they kind of break down into a few different categories. And so the first one is behavior. So if you think about it, that men who are having sex with men have higher rates of HIV. And so that men having sex with a population that has more cases of HIV are more likely to be vulnerable to contracting it, right? Also, from a biology perspective, men having sex with men are more likely to be having anal sex than other combinations of partners. And anal sex can lead to more tears and so more transmission routes for contraction of HIV. Okay. So that's another reason. And then there's societal reasons as well. So being a man who has sex with men is stigmatized in our society. And if you're from a stigmatized population, you're less likely to talk about anything related to that stigma with anyone, including your healthcare practitioners. So if you're less likely to talk about these practices with your healthcare practitioners, then you're less likely to get preventative care. And also there's an association between being stigmatized and having more risky behavior. So maybe you're also less likely 
likely to use any kind of protection as well. And then there's also the sort of added layers of intersectionality that, you know, you could be a man having sex with men, but also maybe you're from a lower socioeconomic class or you're from a race that's already minoritized or stigmatized or marginalized. And so those all compound this issue of being vulnerable to HIV because there's already health inequities based on, you know, how much money you make and based on what racial groups you're from. So I think all those things are associated and maybe are causal factors for this higher prevalence of HIV contraction in with men having sex with men. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Thank you. Great. Well, Nat, thanks for your thoughts on this and and just echoing how impressed we are with the work that, like you were saying, that Rondell and Toya have done and their ability to share it with others through this episode. Absolutely. It was great talking with you, Laura. You too, as always. Thank you all for listening. And I want to thank our production team, Sam Carmel and Isabel Espinoza for all their work on this episode. 